G'day. Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast series for the Hoo-Ha Group. We have a website at www.thewordfromstrugglestreet.wordpress.com where you can access this and all of our other podcasts. Now, today I'm joined by the recently re-employed Dr. David Eden, at With Sober Senses on Twitter. That's me. I'm John Puccini, at John Puccini on Twitter, and we're joined by Jackson Turner. Do you have a Twitter handle? Um, no, I don't. Well, I never use it. Good. I, do have good. I feel that our kind of obsession with Twitter is like, we're old people trying to be re- relevant, and we should yeah, really be Snapchatting our conversations. We should be Snapchatting. I like use that Yeah, there you go. So we have a genuine, yeah. live, young person. Yeah, yeah, yeah we do. Yeah, maybe, today. maybe more useful, my, my PS4 name is JT Raman, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, excellent. Great. I think I vaguely... You might need to lean in, Jackson, so yeah. we're, we're picking up. Jackson, uh, what we want to do today is have a conversation, I think broadly, about kind of the climate justice movement, I guess, which mm. I think you've been quite involved with, and if we have time, because we're on our coffee break, mm. to extend that into a broader analysis of, like, what can we do as global capital throw, hurls the world towards what seems to be like apocalyptic climate destruction. So, Jackson, you want to tell us a little bit about the, your role in recent uh, climate justice activity? Yeah, cool. So, um, I've been involved in like climate justice campaigns for about the last two and a half years. Um, I got involved with the Australian Youth Climate Coalition, going along to like a big forum um, one year, and um, was really impressed with like the amount of young um, organisers and stuff that they had. Um, and then um, for like the last year and a half I've been running their uh, Queensland branch um, with a woman called Olivia um, and yeah so we've been rolling out campaigns and stuff in, in Queensland mostly focusing on um, Adani's coal mine and, and the Abbott Point project um, and uh, for the last sort of three months or so I was organising the um, uh, one of the lead organisers in uh, the Brisbane People's Climate March um, which for those who aren't familiar with it was um, Part of sort of national and um, sort of semi-international um, response to the um, uh, COP21, so the, mm. the Paris climate talks. Yeah. Um, and the key aim of that was, you know, to build solidarities across the movement. Um, you know, the climate movement always talks about itself as, as being a movement of movements. Um, and so they thought that, you know, they should start doing that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and then, a lot, a lot there. Like, yeah. I, you know, I... We'll just have a, want to have a quick kind of clarification. So you mm. you are involved with AYCC. Mm-hmm. For a lot of our listeners, would consider AYCC one of the more conservative organisations within the climate justice movement. Could do you think that's fair? And can you give us a bit of a description about who are the different kind of organisations, factions, ideas that are kind of debating out there in Australia at the moment? Yeah, cool. So I think like um, one of the things um, that I found about AYCC is that like while maybe it, it looks conservative on the outside, I think the demands are still... Sorry, I'll just wait for that pass. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the, de- the demands um, are still... We're one of the few groups that actually, actually um, demands um, uh, reductions of emissions and all that sort of stuff in line with the science. And so, like, while a lot of other groups are going to sort of retreating back to the line of two degrees of warming, yeah. you know, we still demand 1.5, which is, like, you know, what science tells us is like you know mm. the safe upper limit and we're like one of the last organizations that's sort of holding that line and do you think that's the, so that's one of the clear points of cleavage in the in the movement is it between definitely but and this is this is projected te- global temperature growth yeah mm. yeah um and, and what, what does what does point five what does that point yeah, okay. five difference actually mean yeah. right so like it means it means quite a lot like i'm not a climate scientist at all like you know um but 
you know, um, the difference between 0.5 warming and, and 2 degrees warming is, you know, pretty significant. Like, 2 degrees is dangerous. Like, you yeah. know, we're at 1.3, 1.2, yeah. I think, at the yeah. moment. Don't yeah. quote me on that. Yeah. But, like, you know, and, and we're already seeing um, massive impacts. Um, you can imagine if we added another 0.7 degrees to that. And this is going to look like. Is this mm. projected? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is this is projected till about 20, 2100. Sorry. No, it's more recent than that. Um, oh, we're embarrassing ourselves. But I'm sure you have a link somewhere where we yeah, can yeah. add, add about yeah. it. So this, that, that's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Now, can you tell us also a little bit about what the Adani Abbott Point mine is actually, what it actually is? I turn on yeah, the TV cool. all the time and I'm a bit confused. What it is, is it still happening? Where's the lines of opposition? Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, sweet. So I might break that up into some things. So like, um, first one is like what it is. So like the Adani project is a mine, rail, and port that wants to be built um, from central Queensland, where the mine, where the mine is, um, at the Carmichael uh, mine is, is, is the one that we've been focusing on. Um, um, a rail that goes to the coast, um, and then um, a big expansion on the Abbott Point um, port. So there's already a port there, but they want to expand it massively. Um, involves like, we probably would have heard on the news, like all the dredging and all that sort of stuff. It's been a big focus um, mm -hmm. for the I guess like a lot of the conservation groups, mm -hmm. um, and that's gained a lot of traction. Um, and so, um, is it still happening? Um, I think I think it's dead in the water, but it's definitely still like you know trying to be put up again. Um, the lines of opposition. Um, so there's been sort of like three main ways that people have tried to combat it. Mm. So one of them is finance, um, which is what AICC has been doing a lot of with. Mm. Um, you know, basically getting banks, um, domestic banks and international banks to say that they want to invest in the project. Yeah, and that's been quite successful, hasn't it? Yeah, so we've actually gotten all of the banks. Sorry, you'll have to excuse me, I've been on holidays for a couple of remembering We're all, all getting back into yeah, it, yeah. don't worry. Yeah, yeah so, so yeah, keep on going, this isn't... Like Commonwealth Bank pulled out as a result of our campaign, which is yeah. great. Um, Westpac. Westpac's the one that's been a bit of a dick still. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. And hasn't, hasn't budged, but... Um, if you're listening, Westpac, stop it. But I believe um, NAB has also said they're not going to, and ANZ was never really interested in the project. Yeah. And but what's the campaign looked like when you've gone, okay, we're going to have this strategy of targeting the banks that are, that are funding the mine? What does that actually concretely look like? Yeah, so movement-wide, it's uh, movement-wide, it's been a lot of um, uh, largely divestment stuff. Um, but AYCC, uh, look, I'm going to be vain into our own horn, but like I think that the, the thing that pushed them over the edge was actually. Um, um, we did a staff survey and when their staff started being talked to and realizing that the staff actually went on side for it It kind of removed their sort of support from underneath them mm -hmm. and that's when they um, shifted and they shifted on the same day that the Carmichael mines um, Approval went went back, you know, yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. you know their approval got revoked Yeah, yeah, um, because that court case and they sort of used that as a bit of a smokescreen to kind of mm. put put out the press release in the middle of the night yeah. to back out so um, right time, right campaign, but yeah. Right. And so there's also been a series of legal opposition mm. as yeah. well. Yeah, so that's the other big one, um, delaying tactic through legal opposition. And then there's also um, uh, the native titles um, with the Wangai and Jagalungu people, mm -hmm. um, who have um, a campaigner based in Brisbane. Um, and that's been... Um, it's been really successful. I think it's gained a lot of um, traction, and I think it's also... Um, it's, it's great that like a lot of the um, uh, NGOs who do have a lot of money have been getting behind and supporting that stuff. Obviously, I can't speak a lot about it because I'm not sure of all the ins and outs of it, um, but yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. And I've also 
I've just come across that uh, the Queensland government's put up another roadblock in the mm. way of the Adani process recently, which makes me lean. I definitely lean on the position that it's dead in the water and that no one actually wants his mind to go ahead now. There's been such a yeah. successful campaign against it and the economics of it don't make sense anymore. Yeah. And this is something I want to talk about in terms of the Paris Agreement. So mm. go back, going back to looking at COP21 and this seemingly now we have this international agreement which is going to lead to decreases in fossil fuels usage. Is this your understanding? Is this what 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 does Paris actually commit the world to here? Yeah. Um, I'd say I'd say it's sort of maybe like best sort of thought of as like an agreement to have an agreement. Okay. It's like yeah. you know it's sort of like it's not closing it down, but it's certainly yeah. like opening the door for a bunch of stuff. And yeah. so like mm-hmm. um, you know, and there's been a bunch of these sorts of things that have come out um, this year too. It's like you know, um, Commonwealth Bank, I think it was, um, released a statement saying that they're going to conduct business practices in line with two mm. degrees of warming. Okay, okay. You know, which is a thing that they didn't have to do. Um, you know, no one was campaigning for it or anything like that, and they just sort of mm. came out and said it. Mm. And it, it's something to hold people accountable to. Mm. Um, so, like, it's leverage and all that sort of stuff, but, like, obviously nothing's going to happen unless people push for it, is the way mm. I think about the Paris Agreement. Yeah. So, when the Paris Agreement was being negotiated, there was there was activism that happened That's in right. Brisbane around mm. that. There was yeah. a People's Climate March here. Yeah. What yeah. was that? What did it look like? Where did it come from? Yeah. Thoughts on it? Yeah. Um, I'm still processing a lot of this stuff. Um, like, thinking about it, because it's such a whirlwind sort of couple of months um, of working on that and big well, learning yeah, curve. But I think good things about it, I think, were like... There were a lot of groups that came out. Um, How big was the, So it was a rally mainly, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, so we got we got ten thousand people out there. Yeah. Early, over that's 50. pretty amazing for Brisbane. Yeah, like that's yeah. A, that's, a, that's a huge amount of people. Yeah, so like, that's great. Kudos. Mm, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and um, there were over fifty official partners, um, mm. and so that was yeah. like, yeah. you know, unions, little conservation groups, little yeah. uh, that sounded so condescending. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like small community groups and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and like. Yeah, just like a, a really huge rain, lots of faith groups and that sort of stuff um, mm-hmm. worked up to, which was awesome. Um, and lots of people that hadn't been reached out to before. Um, and I think, um, I think, I think we learned a lot from it. At least I did. You know, um, uh, there were lots of people that I had never talked to before mm-hmm. um, that should have been talked to. Um, sort of rambling, I think. No, 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 I, guess, I guess the point. The point for me was that the main. The main thing I thought needed to come out of it was building new connections across the movement and sort of talking, all the social justice groups sort of getting together and talking, and I think that has happened. You know, it could have happened a lot more, it could have, you know, surely always been done better, um, but I think, for me at least, like, the main things that um, I was hoping would actually come about from it, um, did. And so, like, I, I think it was less about, you know, direct political change than it was about setting up a movement for, like, you know, the coming years ahead. And so was this rally organised around any, like, say, a coherent and specific demand at all, or no? So like, mm. and what do you think of that? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so the no, there's big discussions in the movement about this. Obviously, like you know, when you get all these organisations in the same room, they all have like you know a ton of opinions on what should be done. My personal opinion is that we shouldn't be appealing to politicians. It should be about um, people standing up and taking the next step and taking charge of the situation. Um, People, you know, some groups disagree with that and, you know, wanted to make demands of Paris and all that sort of stuff. My opinion mm. was, we're not going to change the outcome of Paris. Mm. We should shift the focus elsewhere and be like, fuck Paris, you know? Like, yeah. um, regardless of what the leaders say, we need to do something and it's going to be up to us. Mm. Um, and I thought that was a much more powerful narrative. Um, and so I was really happy with that. Um, mm. the, and that's kind of the dominant line that, like, mm. the 
um, that everyone kind of ran with, you okay. know? Like, I saw some emails come out from some groups being like, oh, you know, we will expect nothing less than 100% renewable, you know, publicly yeah. funded transition, yeah. you know, out of Paris and all that sort of stuff. I'm like, well, That's you're going to be deluded, disappointed. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this only like, comes back to something we talk about a little bit in the show and in our blog as well, is the paucity of demands. Like, what's the point in making demands on, like we say, on the state or on, like, all the global leaders who are meeting mm. in Paris? What yeah. effect are we going to have mm. demanding that they come to some sort of agreement? We need... I think it's better, as you're saying, to understand what's actually... What are these leaders there for? They're there to make a decision which will enable capital to continue functioning, right? Yeah, and see, what are we doing on the ground? We want to see, we, we want to think about how can we develop movements that are going to allow for not just not just resistance to climate change, but systematic change as yeah. well. Because I guess that, like, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of lot coming out. Like, it's really interesting and... Um, so I think on one hand, like one thing I always find to be uncomfortable is this kind of like rhetoric of demands, which is kind of like pre-prepared outrage, you know, where we, mm. we make a demand or someone makes a demand, the demand is never fulfilled. It yeah. wasn't suspected to be fulfilled. Mm. And then the response is outrage. They didn't fulfill it as if yeah. this kind of generation, of, but that is still kind of plugged into a logic that yeah. you think you can somehow change yeah. the state or misunderstands yeah. the state. It's also about in the capital accumulation. The delusion that you know what we need to do is we need to educate the workers, and then yeah, we can yeah. educate the workers by sending out these outlandish demands that are then not realised. So then there's this weird didactic process. Mm. That but, in, but that's not how people become radicalised. Yeah, I guess no. the thing that really interests <laughs> me about uh, about the this the, the people's march mm. is I guess like climate is really the most you know the pinnacle expression of how serious our condition is yeah. and how hard it is to imagine effective mobilization you know because like you know the, the reason that we're in such this perilous condition is that the global capitalist mode of production is leading to human-induced climate change yeah. right and that mode yeah. of production is the structure that allows our life to function yeah. in this historic moment right so yeah. how do we address this we have yeah. to transform collectively how we live our lives right so well, big. Right. Yeah. and then the fact that you know you can get 10,000 people that's really great because, mm. like, my standard narrative that I guess I've been running in the kind of the blog and in the podcasts is that we live in a moment of defeat, right? Mm. So obviously these there are ten thousand no dominant social movements. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, yeah. so <laughs> these, these, these ten thousand people—they're not idiots, right? No. So they've obviously yeah. come along. What do you think it was about this rally that? allow 10,000 people to collectively express hope, right? Well, why, did, why did this cut through the gloom? Or am I being wrong by projecting that the gloom exists? Do you think that, you know, like, what were your impressions of why people came and, and how they thought about what was going on? I don't know. I'll, <laughs> I'll just maybe, like, throw some nuggets out. Yeah. And, like, I think... Okay, on one side, I think there was disappointment that it wasn't, more, like, a more, like... Um, disruptive approach. So, like, okay. you know, direct action, intervening. Mm. And was there a debate about this? Yes and no. So, like, how these how these sort of things work is that, like, you know, you get stakeholders all in a room together yeah, yeah. and you talk about what you're going to do, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, for a lot of these groups, and this isn't meant as a rag, like, I think NGOs serve a purpose, but mm. there are some things they can't do. Yeah. Like, straight yeah, up, yeah, you know, yeah. like, yeah. they're responsible to philanthropic funds and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Like, yeah. um, you know, it doesn't mean that they can't do anything good. They do yeah. lots. Um, yeah. um, but one thing that they're typically not great at is really disruptive tactics that, like, yeah. you know, 
you know, possibly put people in harm's way, like you know, they can't, situations that they can't control. So this and is so like mass goes, civil disobedience is is that right? So this yeah. also goes to a question of internal movement democracy. Yeah, then totally. as well. Yeah, and I think, and it's one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately. It's like, okay, well, cool. Like if we're looking to overthrow capitalism and create something radically different, then how can we do that within the bureaucratic structures of and um, mm. sort of constrictions of of NGOs, right? Like even mm. people as radical as like. 350 and stuff, mm. you know, um, regardless of their own political beliefs, they, they still need to meet certain, you know, yeah. interests and demands that um, maybe like shape the way. Yeah. Like, okay, really, really clear example. Like, so when you're doing like a risk analysis and this sort of stuff for an event like this, right, you have to, um, you have to be like, okay, what do we do in the event of this and this and this? One of the really obvious lines is like drugs and alcohol, right? Mm. Like, if someone, um, is like drunk or like you know like hectically strung out at the thing mm. my normal reaction would be like oh let's get the first aid team make sure they're okay right give them yeah. a glass of water sit yeah. them down yeah. and that sort of stuff due to risk like you know the sort of bureaucracy of it and like you know risk management and that sort of stuff you need to call the cops you know mm. it's just like simple things like that where you're like yeah. you actually can't act the way you yeah. want to act because that, I, I like, think yeah. you know that, that's really interesting yeah. so like to be nostalgic, that kind of mm. thinks about like the the similar discussions we had around like kind of drugs and alcohol, like in the lead up to the S11 demonstrations. Mm. So for those who aren't as old as me, these were the blockades of the World Economic Forum in 2000. And you know, like a part of the point we got to is, you know, well, why would prefer drugs and alcohol not to be there? Mm. Actually. Drugs and alcohol are a large part of a whole bunch of people's lives. Yeah, and actually yeah. the exclusion of drugs and alcohol often leads to an exclusion of a whole range of people. Mm. Does that make sense? And like yeah. the, the approach to kind of like a movement harm minimization is radically different. But I guess like this is even an indication that um, in 2000, we weren't sitting in a room with NGOs. Yeah, like, like NGOs yeah. participated in the S11 demonstrations, yeah. but the, the organizing spaces you know, had some level of communication with each other. Yeah. But in my experience, in the groups that I was involved in, they didn't sit in the same room. Yeah. It like, I guess, I guess Friends of the Earth might have, but they're a very different yeah. kind yeah. of NGO. So this yeah. is a really interesting kind of insight into a kind of a historical evolution of organising and the different issues that have kind of emerged. Yeah. Mm. And I think we're facing, like, I think we're facing a little bit of an impasse on it, like, where we're meet, reaching the sort of limits of these organisations that you know have been around mm. for like forty or so years doing what they do, yep. and new organisations that are coming up and being like, no, we actually need to do something quite different, like yeah. you know, mm. and um, you know, I think those smaller, like young organisations definitely need, mm. you know, they need the power of those big boards, yeah, like that's right. you know, freaking the, budgets that they you have. You need the like, NGOs, you know? yeah, that's right. They've got yeah. the money, they got yeah. the power. Totally yeah. right, um, and that comes with you know a whole bunch of other problems. Anyway, it's just. Complicated, yeah. right? But like, oh, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess I'm interested yeah. as well, thinking about in the context of there's this big, great mobilization in Brisbane, which is a, takes the form of the rally, which is you know. But then maybe if we think about, for instance, the, what Klein calls this blockadia movement, which is mm. the other sort of another, I guess, part of this popular resistance to climate change. And particularly, there was a very successful blockade in the northern, on the northern rivers. Yeah, yeah the Bentley blockade. The, it was called. It was the the Bentley blockade. I don't know how much you know about this, how involved you were in this, but I mean... So, because yeah. this has yeah. been, you know, I guess this is the other tactic that's, that's been developed has been yeah, around yeah. CSG, right? That's right. Where yeah. the, the nature of the CSG industry, 
yeah. think has allowed a kind of popular lock the gate direct yeah. action strategy using yeah, you know yeah. from and I'm very far from a distance using some of the popular yeah. rallies legal challenges as well yeah how much of that kind of was there much of an influence of that cycle of struggles around blockading and CSG that was present in the People's Climate March? Did, what, did Blockadia, did it, make a, did it make a presence there? So, it did, but it wasn't, like, so, like, ah. So, there were a bunch of nonviolent direct actions, um, like, in the following sort of week after. Mm. Yeah, can um, you tell us about these at, yeah. as well? I actually don't know a whole lot. I, I know some of the people who were involved in them, but, like... Let's not mention their names. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, um, but, like, coal trains were blocked and, and stuff. Mm. Some really cool actions um, came out of it. Um, I think one thing that they... Um, that was lacking, though, was, yeah, that, that mass participation and stuff, and it, it just comes with the limitations, I think, of... of um, you know, when you're organising direct action, there aren't a lot of people that are trained in Brisbane. You can only really take the, you know, along people that you really, really trust, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think my inkling is that that's where the next thing's heading. Like, I don't think we can do another rally. Like, yeah. you know, I yeah. think that this one was important, and like, you know, I, I, I had a lot of flack from other people and like um, who are involved in these sorts of things, being like, why the hell are you doing another rally? You know, we've had all these rallies, and I feel it was important for like rebuilding that hope and rebuilding that power yeah, and, and get those connections you're talking about as well and yeah. furthering these connections within and between the movements yeah yeah and it was kind of like you know it was also a communication tactic right like you know first nations um and island nations um led the rally um yep. you know the yep. front banner um, was protect our country and um for the first time you know like it's not it's not like you know a printed banner that you know has the, the yeah, logos yeah, of the yeah. All the, all the organizations, yeah, sure. You yeah. know, who've committed money to it. Um, it's the people who are actually most affected by climate change and mm. like extractivism, mm. exactly. um, which I think is like really fucking important, you know? Oh, and, definitely. And, and, um, and points to another kind of whole other dynamic about the Australian state's role mm. as like a major enforcer of capital accumulation in the, mm. in the entire region. Yeah. yeah and how totally. that's going to play out in this yeah. like complicated network of, of, of borders and, um, and, and, you know, yeah. policing. Yeah. It's all thank you. Yeah. It's, no, I'm good, thanks. It's already happening in the South Pacific, I think. Yeah, like yeah, that's, that's you know, like if you think about so many of these Pacific Island states. Yeah. yeah. Um so you know the Australian state is directly involved, I know in at least like well, Nauru, obvious Obviously. case, right? Yeah, but yeah. but I think at least since the late nineties, in multiple IMF bailouts, yeah. Australian public servants, Australian yeah. police yeah. are there in PNG. They're yeah. in Samoa. You know, yeah. these states operate as almost direct extensions of the Australian, um, you know, state yeah. apparatus. Yeah. This is also the space where climate change is really making an impact. Yeah. There's something interesting and complex there. Like, yeah, and I, I'd need to yeah. update my kind of yeah. knowledge about yeah. the specifics of that, but I think as a general dynamic, yeah. that's, right. that's being played out, right? You know, yeah. so... And also then you have the Australian state on a global level as being one of the most reactionary when it comes to climate change yeah, as well. Yeah, sorry, just and also in internally in terms of First Nations in Australia as well, you yeah. know, like kind of um, trying to turn around um, native title claims of yeah, the Adani yeah. mining land uh, very, very recently. There were attempts to do that, although I don't know whether those attempts were started under the Campbell Newman government and are now kind of being mm. whittled away by the new Labor government. I'm not sure how that's... I've given up trying to read what the political class is doing in reference to this mine. But at the very least, you know, there's significant, you know, like Australia has a very long history, obviously, of overriding Indigenous land claims yeah, in yeah. terms of mining, especially in Queensland. Yeah. You know, where in the 80s, 
um, in a tire like um, a native title later is rezoned as local council land so that it could be mined for box for, 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 for bauxite yeah. you know so this is a long long history of this as well so then pulling back to the people's climate march. yeah sorry we're, we're going so there's already these critiques that are made mm -hmm. what's happened since mm -hmm. ha has how you know I don't, I don't think these conversations have to have taken an organisational form mm -hmm. but in your experience how have they percolated what, what's, what's gone on post rally mm. so mm. To be honest, I'm not really sure. I went on holidays after. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, as soon as the rally was over, I was like, taking yeah, a break. Yeah, you know, like, getting burnt out. We all know about that. Yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> but I've been thinking a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no but I, I, think, I think the next steps... Um, I think this year is going to be a very big year for climate. And I think it's mm. the year where it's like, uh, either the NGOs are going to have to um, step up or, or they're yeah. going to get left behind, I think. I think... Okay. Yep. The overwhelming message that I got from people that were there is that people are ready to take um, action. They're yeah. like, you know, we have an election this year, um, and yeah. the sort of dominant thing that I've heard been heard uh, yeah. being talked about is not political campaigns. Yeah, it's actually okay. like disruptive tactics. You know, yeah. like yeah. Um, to disrupt that the election really great. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah, like a new like yeah anti politics, right? Like yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and and I think that's totally what's necessary, right? Like. Yeah. Um, as you said, like, you know, like climate change captures so much of, of what's what's happening at the moment. And I think using that as like, you know, such a visible um, critique of, you know, um, state violence, you know, it's, it's um, yeah, sorry, lost my, lost no, my that's, thought, that, yeah. that's really interesting because on the one hand, yeah, we've got this kind of direct action tactics that are really important. Mm. But I'm also kind of thinking about this thing, which we were talk, talked about last week um, as well, which is about... Um, kind of the right to the city, I suppose. So we've mm. got the Brisbane City Council election coming up. Jonathan Sri is running mm. again, um, is it, like running in City Council, trying to make this into a discussion about what a livable city. So I want to yeah. kind of have a bit of a think about it as well, because like we're sitting in the foreground of a gigantic new construction block. We're, we're looking at hundreds of new apartment blocks going mm. up all over Brisbane and all over Australia as well. You know? but, but also to apply our inverted periscope for oh, listeners yes. at home. Yeah. The construction block yeah. is covered in CFMEU yeah, flags. Yes, so this is something I want to talk which about. Which is like, yes. a, we're yes. considering, you know, the, the yeah. flack the CFMEU is currently receiving from the state. Yeah. It's a point of resistance even yeah. in yeah. this construction. Yes, but, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I want to talk about yeah. this. And I, want to, I want to think, I guess, about how, on the one hand, we've got this direct action struggle that's really important, but then also thinking about how can we, I guess consider examples of how we can strive struggle for something like a livable city and an environmentally sustainable city. Have you had any thoughts about that? I guess. Yeah, look, it's something I think about all the time, but not something <laughs> we have any answers for. Yeah, no, no. I just want to get your thoughts. Yeah. I don't want answers. I just want thoughts. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah. So I get. Yeah. I get, I, sorry. Go. No, you go. Well, I think it, it also times into this kind of debate that I think has been happening in the UK at least since the late 90s or early yeah. 2000s around yeah. environmental struggles, which yeah. were like, at some level, there's a potential that even more militant str struggles mm. are still kind of activism with a capital A, like yeah, they're a specialist right. activity that mm. takes place at sites yeah. separate from the terrains of our lives. Mm. And I, like, I think right. I, there's a well, and I haven't followed it, like I think post-climate camps in Europe, there's been a lot of debate about mm. this as well. Like how do we shift from this kind of, you know, this is something we do as a specialist activity involving mm. specialist people at big sites to how do we connect this with the struggles 
over our lives. Mm. And I think that the, the tough point people come to, well, mm. it's only when there's a certain wave of struggle that's high enough do you escape this contradiction. Like, yeah. at this moment, it's probably an inescap- inescapable contradiction that, yeah. you know, that it's small groups of people like doing kind of more militant agency and only when you have yeah. a real kind of surge of people that yeah. suddenly big issues in everyday lives become yeah. attached together. Yeah. But those big surges of people are never necessarily just produced by activists working hard. You know, yeah. like, no, that's right. no one can yeah. predict yeah. when that happens. Like, you've always got to operate we've talked about this before, yeah. like on the possibility of some big event happening tomorrow, even though you can't, can't see yeah. it, but you want to yeah. do it in yeah. a useful way. Yeah. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, and I, that sounds really deterministic because then you're like, <laughs> oh, let's just wait history to sort it out. Yeah. Well, particularly, you know, yeah, like, right. or, but particularly yeah. what so climate change shows that we don't have limitless time, right? Yeah, no, like, right. so this kind of yeah. tear between wanting to go like, shit, we've got to change it now. What can we do yeah. with... It's the yeah. big forces of history, you know, yeah, like yeah. Um, kind of uh, uh, pulling it at, at people there. Because I kind yeah. of think like, you know, where I live, there's solar panels everywhere, right? right? And I think yeah. that's an indication of people's attempt to try to live differently within the conf- constraints of the society that they, pro- they suggest. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I wasn't at the rally, so I'm interested in kind of people yeah. who were at the rally who are yeah, involved yeah. in this, yeah. how they're... Sorting yeah. out these contradictions, yeah. tensions. and it's and it's kind of like you know, um, uh, I think it's James Scott when he's talking about like, um, you know, um, uh, sort of, um, you know, how we're forced to live. Maybe you know, um, maybe that actually erodes our ability to cooperate. You know, over time. Yeah. You know, since mm. um, I think also David Graeber was talking about um, mm. you know his time in Madagascar and he um, you know had to sort of learn how to do like you know the democratic process. You know, to, to participate because mm. you know yeah. he obviously has a whole bunch of knee jerk reactions you know he's learned from living in his society yeah. um, and when he came back um, and was participating in um, Occupy he yeah. realised that the, the processes that they were using for decision making and everything were really clumsy sort of versions of mm. what was being practised so naturally in mm. Madagascar um, mm. you know and it was like you know babies sort of learning to walk you know um, mm. as yeah. they, they figure out how to negotiate those things um, yeah and so like I think um, I think on some level like there's a lot of trust put in um NGOs to sort of solve the problems for people, decide what issues are important, and then yeah. act on them yeah. in a strategic way. Yeah. Um, and I think I don't think that's a good thing. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I think that like, um, you know, obviously like ideally everyone would be able to be like, that's bullshit. Let's yeah. do something about it. You know, and like certainly there's been numerous examples of that happening in yeah. industry and stuff. Yeah. Um, but maybe not as common um, in our age in Australia. Yeah. I don't know. Um, you. You're a history student, John, yeah. so maybe you can... Well, maybe we can briefly <laughs> talk about the green bands. In Sydney, in the... We are running out and, and we're going to have to go back to work soon, John. We've got 10 minutes. All right, we've got 10 minutes. So I just want to briefly say, you know, that how do you connect all these things together? We've got kind of, on the one hand, we have a whole lot of development going on. We've got a whole lot of rampant development going on. We've got lots of areas of Sydney in the 1970s that are being... Um, going to be compromised in the name of development, a lot of green spaces. And what you have then is you've got a union, we've got the Builders Labourers Federation, which comes under radical communist leadership, manages to bring the industry, the building industry, which is rampant and corrupt and disgusting, much, but it was much more, much worse then than it is now. Um, they managed to bring the system under control, they managed to ensure that the workers had, enough, had, their, had, had, had good working conditions. Then they started thinking about, well, what, like workers are building the towers, but we don't have any say 
in what we're building and how we're building it and what sort of lives we want to live in the city. And we want to have green spaces and we want to have, and we want to be environmentally conscious in our building, but we can't because the capitalists control things. So the Builders Laborers Federation in New South Wales and from 1970 to 1975 roughly launched a campaign called Green Bands where the union refuses to work on yeah. building sites that are considered environmentally or socially disruptive. How do they go about doing that? Well, they, they reach out and they say, look, what's going on? They talk to middle-class women's groups who are trying to protect areas, um, areas of, of the Sydney Harbour foreshore, which aren't traditionally working-class areas, but they, com they cooperated beyond the ground, beyond just their kind of working-class milieu to, to be cross-class and to think about these issues and to think about what constitutes a livable city, mm. you know? I, I think, think that that's something interesting inspiring. to think about. It is it's really inspiring, inspiring, but it was also yeah. a product of yeah. a history, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. like, it was you know, the... Yeah. It was a product of particularly, like, what we might call the red decade of the mid-60s yeah, yeah. to the mid-70s, but yeah, also an yeah. accumulation of almost, like, yeah. 80 years of struggle yeah. that's right. in some yeah. ways. And, like, yeah. I think, you know, one of the big difficulties behind this is, you know, yeah, that, that yeah. historical thread in some ways mm. was broken in the 80s, mm. you know, and that yeah. we're in a different period, a different class composition, mm. a different historical experience of struggle and of mm. work. That's right. And we've, we've got to understand it in yeah. that condition. Yeah. Like, I also kind of wonder how, you know, the, how much, like, the actual impacts of climate change, like, climate mm. change is not just something that we have to, like, think mm. about preventing. Yeah. But it's actually the impacts of climate change are something we're going to have to respond to. Right? Right. It's already yeah, yeah, going to yeah. happen, right? It's already happening. Yeah. You know, so I think, you know, th this has been debated in, like, uh, Nick Beret has an article in, um, I can't remember, it's a good friend of mine. I don't know if he'll say Beret or Barrett. Either way, Nick yeah. Yeah. Has, a good, has a good article in an issue of salvage that we'll link to, yeah. attempting to think this through. Yep. But also, you know, to go back to the cliche, you know, the Zapatistas' New Year statement, mm. you know, their response is the storm's coming, right? Yeah. Like how we can respond is how we can build a house or boat of autonomy. Yeah. You know, in some mm. ways the effects are things we're going to have to face. Yeah. And that that's going to, like, not just the kind of mit mitigation, but the yeah. only hope, I guess, is coming out of these kind of struggles. So mm. I think... That's right. You know, for... What do you imagine doing next after you finish your holiday? In terms of this, where do you think people will come together if people are listening in Brisbane and they want to be involved? Yeah. What? what where, what's the next step? I don't know. Yeah. Like you know, I, yeah. I honestly don't know. I've been thinking about it my entire holiday about yeah. what's next because I've I've sort of ended my um, um, my time in what I was doing, and so I'm basically like a free agent at the yeah. moment um, and deciding what I want to kind of work on next, and um, I'm. Yeah, I'm not. I'm honestly not sure. Like, especially since we're at a moment too, where like you know the campaign against Sudani is is kind of pretty much won. I, I believe that it's mostly it's won. won. You know, yeah. like there's yeah. still some stuff in the way, and still yeah. some pretty horrible stuff that could happen. But yeah, um, yeah it's. Uh, yeah. I honestly don't know. But I I think. Mm. Um, I think what we what we will see is. Um, especially after this, I think we're going to see mass participation. Like, you know, last year was such a huge year for mm. climate change. Like, you know, we've, we've kind of actually, um, there's this tipping point thesis. Um, I forget who wrote it, forget what it is. I think the book's called Tipping Point. Yeah. Um, but it's basically about, oh, the climate movement will eventually reach a point where, yeah. um, like, um, you know, we'll see a radical transition, like, you know, really fast. Like, people will come on side really quickly in a really short amount of time, and yeah. then we'll see a huge sort of turnaround. And I think we're in the middle of that. Right? Like, okay. like, you know, yeah. this year we've seen, like, the Pope's encyclical, we've seen, like, um, 
you know, massive mobilizations across the world around this. Yeah. We've seen the climate talks come out with a surprising, you know, yeah. response. We've seen banks pull out of um, projects based on environmental impacts. Yep. We've seen the tar sands vetoed. Like, you know, all these things that supposedly shouldn't have happened, you yeah, know, are sort right. of starting to yeah. happen. Uh, you know, the Tesla battery's been released, like, mm. you know. Yeah. And so I think next year is kind of the um, the point where a lot of unexpected things are going yeah, yeah, to come about. And I think yeah, it'll be yeah. mass quite mass participation and I think it will be much more organic than it's been so far. That's yeah. a really interesting way of framing it. It kind of like in the way that's you know, you the way you're posing it there saying, Well look, it's not one thing mm. but it's kind of the collective weight mm. of multiple different separate mm. events mm. Like happening throughout the society resonating with each other. Yeah. yeah. You know, and yeah. I, I, that's really interesting because of course it's impossible for one person yeah. or one movement or one group or one struggle to operate on all these fronts. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as the Boral truck goes as past. As the Boral truck, yeah, indeed. But, and uh, I, the other thing that's yeah, going to be interesting yeah. as well, this is, you know, this year, I think, is going to be the year where, like, the global economic crisis impacts on Australia as well. Oh, my God. I was just saying that to uh, Adalia yesterday. I was like, you know what? We're going to have a crisis, like, this year. Like, well, yeah. we don't know, I don't know how. Well, I think it's already happening, right? Like, yeah, you know, the, totally. the mining boom's already running out totally. of steam. Yeah. You know, who knows if the... If since trading has re returned after the break of holidays on financial markets, it's just been a bloodbath. That's Who right, knows? Like yeah, I don't yeah. want to predict no, depression yeah. tomorrow, but it yeah. looks like yeah. now that's going to play out. Real, like, will this, you yeah. know, um, increase our space and capacity to yeah. look for ways of reproducing our life outside the capital yeah. relation, or will yeah. the yeah. kind of rising, um, potentially rising unemployment, maybe yeah, yeah. you know, worsening conditions scare people? into yeah. supporting yeah. any form of capital investment. You know, like that that's yeah. gonna be an interesting yeah. point of contestation too. Yeah. And just like a quick note, so like over the holidays I had some had some light reading reading um, <laughs> revisiting Hayek and Keynes. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but like you know, it's it's really interesting, right? Like because on, on one hand like, you know, um, Austrian business cycle stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. it's like um, you know, um, if um, if Hayek is right. As, as he says on his deathbed, you know, and, and we are going to, um, you know, suddenly see a whole bunch of investments um, fall through, you know, in the next however yeah. years, months yeah. and everything. What's going to be the, the, the reaction to it? Like, you know, it, it, you know, are they going to be able to just put in Keynesian messages again or is it, you yeah. know, going to be I something else? Well, I guess, well, I guess that, like, you know, like, yeah, the, like yeah. as the Austrians argue that, yeah. You know, you just let the crisis happen. Yeah, right. But and make sure you in, make sure you ensure property rights. Yeah, you know, right. yeah. Yeah. But I, but I think you know, like keep, keep the dying masses out. Yeah, yeah. I think that like, the, time, the crisis would, yeah, struggle, yeah, right? would pull yeah. everything apart, right? right? Yeah, so yeah. I think that's why yeah. you know the keep property rights going increasingly yeah. becomes more armed, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, but the capacity for kind of you know, like we've already had within the coordinates eight years of stimulus, unorthodox monetary policy, and this has led to you know vast accumulations of debt. Mm. If the crisis reappears, what does that mean, you know? So is there a point here, alternative forms of reproducing our lives, the commons, solidarity yeah. economics, yeah. these kind of things, reduce yeah. work time, increase yes. our quality of life, work time. meeting yeah. with yeah. the need to reduce, mm. you know, the amount of shit we're pumping into the air and also yeah. dealing with these yeah. horrific effects of climate change. Yeah. Is this the kind of space yeah. where these things can, can right. meet, yeah. you know? I'm really interested in this as well in terms of just to move kind of from the economic, still in the economic, but move back towards environmental issues as well. We're at the end of the mining boom in Australia, right? So what's next? I think so. so. 
I mean, this seems to be the case. So then is it possible then, you know, Naomi Klein argues in her book that really capitalism can't solve the climate crisis. And I'm unconvinced. I'm thinking that what if capitalism can at least attempt to solve the climate crisis through renewable energies, but do that in a way which is incredibly displacing of people still incredibly, um, it, it's still very um, exploitative and alienating. It could do that by, you know, for instance, in the third world, already building, you know, heaps of wind farms and solar panels on, on, on lands without consultation mm. of people. And this is, and obviously there's a the whole carbon credits thing <laughs> where third world, a lot of third world areas, farming land is being used to grow trees now terms of um, the use of um, so that first world countries can buy carbon credits so they can continue to pollute you know so there's all of these questions yeah. I think as well that are really that are really interesting so how can the environmental movement sort of and I guess this is one of the contradictions of the environmental movement that you were talking about just before the show is like they don't see we want a world which is ecologically sound but can we have that world within within capitalist property relations and do we want to see that world within capital's property yeah. relations, you know? And I think, like, just really simply, because I'm aware you guys are running out of time, but, yeah, like, yeah. you know, um, it's like that whole thing, like, um, you know, the economy is the crisis, right? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. um, on one hand, um, the main critiques that have come out about capitalism actually don't yeah. take in their own yeah. critiques. It's like, yeah. no, no, if, if climate change is a symptom of capitalism, and climate change isn't just, like, and climate change isn't just this, like, you know, thing that's happened in this moment and, like, you know, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, you know, if climate change is just the latest crisis of capitalism, mm. then, of course, capitalism, you know, can yeah. survive it, right? Like, yeah, right. you know, it'll yeah. bounce back. And, like, the dominant yeah. approaches to solving the climate crisis, at least, you know, from the, from the main sort of, the, you know, the loudest groups mm. in the in party, right? Yeah. Are, um, you know, we create um, incentives through government, like subsidies and these sorts yeah. of stuff to allow yeah. the private sector to innovate solutions to the climate crisis, yep. you know? And like um, Marawa, who's um, uh, uh, one of the TOs, uh, traditional owners from Wangang and Jagalingu people, yeah. was saying to me, um, she's like, one of the main reasons why I'm involved in, in climate justice is because um, if you know they uh, you know remove to renewable energy, we'll see um, land grabs of um, First mm. Nations land for fucking wind farms. You know. Well, that's right. Like, and that's what I'm trying to say is that there's really no fucking difference in a way. <laughs> if you're an indigenous person and yeah. your land's being taken for a mine or it's being taken for a wind farm, totally. you know. And this is the problem I think, which we'll need to, which the movement will need to face. Kind of I, as well. I think what's really like I can't see that's present in this debate yeah. is actually an understanding of what is it actually about capital social relationships that totally. rely yeah. on high yeah. energy usage. This is, so like yeah, so George. Right. George Defences has this really amazing essay from the 70s and about the energy crisis in the 70s, yeah. which I think is called the Work Energy Apocalypse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or Apocalypse Work Something. It's, yeah. oh, we'll link it. Where, like, and it's great essay. I think it should be mandatory reading. Yes. Where what he wants to talk about is, you know, okay, so what's about high energy use? It's about the replacement of living labour with technology. Yep. What yep. drives the replacement of living labour with technology? It's mm. like on one hand, competition between various capitalist firms, but mm. it's also mm. about the control of labour. Yeah. Right. It's about this yep. con capital's constant demand, desire to control and exploit more out of a, you know, out of the human body. That's right? right. And as capital yep. has developed, the proportion yep. of capital that's invested on technology versus living labour has increased. Mm. Huge increase in productivity. This is what drives energy usage. Mm. Right. So now, if you have, you can have then kind of two arg arguments. Can yeah. capital maintain its high energy use in a green way? Yep. Maybe it can, but then it means a world yeah. converted into, you know, these high-energy solar, you know, high-production yeah. solar, wind, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, it can't. Well, what would that mean? That would mean, like, well, as there's the proportion of technology declines, a higher exploitation of the human body mm. to keep profit rates at some kind of level. 
which That's I think right, is yeah. already happening all the world. You know, there's yeah. a, the composition of capital globally is high tech in some areas, yeah. low tech in others with high forms of exploitation. Yep. You know, so I yeah, think yeah. that begins to create a far yeah. more kind of compl- like complicated picture. Mm. So if we're challenging the use of energy mm. in capital, it's also yep. about the liberation of the human yes. from the demands of work, right? Yeah, like, that's right which yeah. is also tied into First Nations resistance yeah. to the imposition of capital, yeah. Yeah. various that's forms right. of enclosure yeah. as well. So yeah. I, I think that's, yeah. um, we don't really have time no. to kind of talk about it, but this goes back to, I guess, kind of the theme. We don't, ironically, we don't have time to talk about because we have to get back to work. That's right. About yeah. the, like, <laughs> the demand of the reduction of work. Yes. You know, yes. that, that, um, you know, I was having, I was chatting with people at, at Woodford, yeah, right, and we're talking about, you know, wouldn't it be great if we had more, t- you know, there's all these kind of green individualist strategies, which are like, mm. grow your own vegetables, you know, yeah. do these kind of things, make your own clothes, like, most people like that idea yeah. if they weren't at work all the time, yeah. like, yeah, if right. the idea yeah. is that you've got to come home from doing the nine to five, then grow your own vegetables, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. At, at, after picking up the kids from childcare, or like, but if you re- if you yeah. can have a strategy of mm. the reduction of mm. work time, yeah. then you free up space That's for right. the direct yeah. production of use values. Yeah. You know, mm. in a way that would be mm. enjoyable, yeah. cooperative, and yeah. green. Yeah. So you know, like, and, uh, I was just like, as a final thought, I think that you know, because I, I totally agree, right? Um, but um, there's a fundamental sort of schism, right, where the main um, one of the big arguments is like green jobs, right? Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. and so the demands are actually for increased employment. Yeah. You know, yeah, straight yeah, up. Yeah, like, you yeah. know, and the whole thing, um, you know, a lot of the narrative around Adani, um, Adani's mind that has gained so much traction is that the jobs aren't going to be there, right? Yeah, they yeah. promised 10,000 jobs, it's going to be like 1,500 or something like that. Yeah. And green jobs would offer way more jobs. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, and, you know, it, it comes into ally work too, right? Like, yeah. you know, if we go into like, you know, um, coal mining, coal fired power station towns yeah, and yeah. be like, we're going to shut down your fucking coal mine. You know, like, we can't leave these people out in the lunch. We need to offer, like, yeah. jobs for them because they can't, you know, they can't survive yeah. off air. Because it's right? a reality of existing capitalism, yeah. right? And so, like, how that's do you right, negotiate? Yeah. How do you negotiate that? You yeah. know? But also yeah. it's been, like, you know, historically that's been a real problem where you have these kind of yeah. ecological campaigns. It's like, you know, stop logging this forest. You can have ecotourism. So it's like, yeah. stop being a logger, become a barista. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a reskilling program, and and there's no functioning of like you know. Also, the self-activity of Mm. these workforces, you know, and their histories of struggles are often kind of left out of that. But again, it's like you know, it's it's people are of course you've got to talk about green jobs within the framework. Yeah, you know, you can't just be totally ultra about this. But what are what are the possibilities of shifting the framework? Yeah, yeah. So we can shift the conversation, right? Like, and I think last point too is that. Um, the frame is different in different places, right? Too, yeah, like totally. you know, yeah. shifting to green energy and like um, you know, a, a small coal-fired power station is a massive frame shift. Yeah. You yeah. know that we we wouldn't perceive it as that maybe, but like you know, that's yeah. a massive paradigm shift. You know, yeah. And I think totally. like you know, us for the city, what is the, what is a massive frame shift look like for us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally, totally. And I, I think, and then I guess we'll leave it to the listeners mm. to make it co- like rather than kind of the hypothetical what can we do the yeah. amorphous we mm. yeah what is possible for real concrete groups of people individuals mm. collectives that already exist yeah what are those practical yeah concrete strategies yep. that start shifting to have the shift yeah right you know like otherwise we're just engaged in this like hypothetical you know, where where podcast lenin's Directing <laughs> orders to a to a non-existent <laughs> hypothetical listening yeah. party, right? Yeah, it's yeah. it's totally. about you know, strategies yeah. have to be linked to kind of like yeah. concrete 
situations and concrete people. Yeah. So, we'll, I think it'll be very interesting to, like, you let us know what, what happens yeah, yeah, over yeah. the next couple of months. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, and we'll keep people through the yeah. blog. And we'll keep on talking, discussing and writing about it, I guess, I you know, so. as, as yeah. things emerge. And, of course, like, listeners, if, you know, this chimes with you, you think there's something we've missed, you know, you want to disagree yeah. with us, put yeah. it on the blog. But also yeah. point us to examples where you think the struggles are going on, right? Definitely. So yeah. part of this is a contribution to an ongoing discussion. It's part of shifting the frame. Great. We've got to get back to work, John. Thanks a lot, Thank you very much, Jackson. Well, thanks for having me. All right, you've been listening to Living the Dream, the podcast, and the Hoo-Ha Group.